Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. It is good to be together. Um, Thank you for each and every individual and family represented in this room right now. Um, God, in this time, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive whatever it is that you are trying to tell us. Uh, God, we want to run with you. Uh, We don't want to run away from you. Maybe we've been doing that for a little bit, but God, as we just continue and kind of have a conversation about what it means to run with you, would you um, open up our hearts and our lives? We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, hey, Axis Church, it is good to be together. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. My name is Connor Doyle. I'm the Middletown campus pastor. Uh, I know I have met some of you, but if we haven't met, I would love to meet you. I would love to do that after the service here. Um, Josh, our Mason campus pastor, and I uh, will switch every once in a while. He preached for me in Middletown this past week, and I'm honored to be here with you guys today. Um, If this is your first time here, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. Thank you for being brave enough to come into a new place with new people. Well done. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And um, if you have been around Axis for some time now, you might be aware that this past week has been a heavy week in the life of our church family. Now, the service for 16-year-old Robin Beckman happened here just this past week on Wednesday, and y'all, it was a full, packed room. And our hope as we were planning and praying and, and talking through the service just as a staff And a church family is that it would be honoring to God and certainly honoring to the Beckman family. And that was our hope. And it was a a beautiful day. And so um, I just wanted to tell you this week, um, uh, last week at our Middletown campus, we took some time to stop and pray for the Beckman family. And um, just wanted to tell you guys, just from our, our Middletown campus, we are one church one family, and we got your back. We are with you guys. And so please know that. Um, and so today, as we get started and, <clears throat> and continue in our series called Running from God, I have a question for you guys. How many of you like to run? We got any runners in the house? Okay, we got, we got a few. We got a few. Okay. Um, I hate to run. Running is not my thing. I only will run if I have to or if it's part of the workout of the day, right? But uh, about 10 years ago, myself and a buddy of mine, his name is Jeff, his name is Jeff, and he decided, um, we decided together that we were going to run a, uh, a Tough Mudder race. How many of you know what a Tough Mudder race is? Okay, well, as if running isn't bad enough, a Tough Mudder is about a 10-mile long race. Um, but they add like obstacles in the race that you have to run, run throughout the race. And my friend Jeff decided that he was going to train for this race, but I thought, nah, I got this. I don't need to train. I'm in college. I work out, right? I'll be fine. And so uh, we started the race, and it was great. Like we were passing individuals. We were passing groups, you know, the cold shoulder, like, see you, sucker, you know. And, uh, and that's what we did. It was great. That happened for about four miles, um, and I wish I could tell you that that happened throughout the entire race. It didn't. <laughs> Around mile five, 
something happened to my body and my legs just locked up. Like I, it's still to this day, I've never cramped up and had that kind of pain in my life before. And if I was to walk, I literally had to like walk on my toes. I just couldn't get any relief. And so I felt so bad for my friend Jeff. He was waiting on me. I had to sit down in my pain. And what was even worse is that as I sat down, the groups of people that we ran past are now running past us. And so they gave us like the, see you second, you know, cold shoulder back in return is probably deserved. Uh, luckily, one of the other participants in the race, they, she saw me in my pain. I think she was like a physical therapist. And she tried to help stretch out my legs to give me some relief. And so that, that actually did help for about two more miles. But then we approached mile seven and we, the, this obstacle that was right in, front of, right in front of us, it was called the Hero Carry. And it was a, it was a super muddy day. It was raining. It was, it was a muddy field. And um, I've got a picture here. Uh, this is the Hero Carry. Uh, these guys look dry, and they look like they're having fun. Um, it wasn't dry when we ran it. It was like a muddy hill with mounds and stuff. It wasn't flat. And we weren't having any fun at this point in our race. And, uh, and so for the hero carry, you're supposed to throw your teammate on your shoulder and run for about 50 yards. And so uh, my legs started to cramp up. I kind of got back into some pain. And I looked at my buddy Jeff, and I was like, hey, you want to go first? <laughs> and so I jumped on his back, and he carried me for about 50 yards. And I wish I could tell you that I was the hero that carried my my, my buddy, my teammate, the rest of the 50 yards, but that didn't happen. I remember, I, I, I think what happened, I just like, he put me down, and then we made eye contact, and my face is like filled with pain and horror. You know, like, I can't, certainly can't carry you the next 50 yards, and so I love friends like Jeff. He carried me on, on his back the next 50 yards, and we barely made it through <laughs> the hero carry obstacle. Well, Running can be fun, but in my experience, running can bring great pain. And do you know the kind of running that brings you the most kind of pain? It's actually, it's running from God. Two weeks ago, we started a new series called Running from God. And you don't have to raise your hands. I'll just be the test dummy here and tell you and raise, your, raise my hand from experience that when you run from God, it usually doesn't end very well. Running from God, this series, is based on a historical figure. He's in the Bible. His name is Jonah. Jonah, in the Bible, it's only four chapters. It's a really great and easy read. I would encourage you to go back and read that this week. Um, Jonah was a prophet of God. And a prophet's job was to hear a message from God and then deliver it to an intended or target audience or group of people. Um, at night, before bed, sometimes I'll read a Bible story uh, from my four-year-old son's Bible. Uh, he's got like a little, you know, like a little kid Bible. And uh, one of his favorite stories to read, he's like, Daddy, 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 can we read the story of Jonah? He loves that story. And I love, in the story of Jonah, I love how this little kid's Bible actually starts the story of Jonah. Let me read it for you. It's, it's a, it goes like this. God had a job for Jonah, but Jonah didn't want it. Go to Nineveh, God said, and tell your worst enemies 
that I love them. No, said Jonah, those are bad people doing bad things. Exactly, said God. They have run far from me, but I can't stop loving them. I will give them a new start. I will forgive them. I want to tell you a little bit about the city of Nineveh. This is a picture These are restored walls or a gate of what was uh, ancient Nineveh. Nineveh was a major city in the Assyrian Empire. The city was known for its massive walls, for its wealth and its security, um, which is part of of why it was so wicked is because of its pride. And God always opposes the proud. The city was known for things like murder and brutality against those inside and out of the city. It was also known for its sexual immorality, kind of like a Las Vegas mentality where sexual immorality isn't, isn't just accepted, but it's actually encouraged. But in chapter 1, to the reader's surprise, Jonah, who's supposed to be the man of God, the prophet of God, not only does he not go to Nineveh, but he runs from God. He gets on a boat and he sails in the opposite direction. And so while on a boat, God sent a great storm. And the sailors, they're freaking out. They're fearing for their lives. Meanwhile, Jonah is chilling. Jonah is below deck, and he is asleep. But he wakes up, and he realizes what's going on. And eventually, the sailors would throw him overboard into the water because Jonah knew that the storm was because of him running from God. And the Bible says that God provided a great fish. I wish I had more time to go into that, but I don't. But God sent a great fish. We don't know what kind of fish it was, but we do know that it swallowed Jonah. And Jonah lived in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. By the way, if you're new to the Bible or maybe skeptical about some of the stories in the Bible, like this fishy story, I love what what Josh said in week one of this series He said, if you can believe the first book of the Bible, uh, the first verse in the Bible, and it goes like this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Man, if you can believe that verse, then a man getting swallowed by a fish is really no big deal. And by the way, Jesus believed the story of Jonah. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 12, This is Jesus. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And while in the belly of a fish, Jonah prays to God, He had this prayer of repentance. It was a beautiful prayer. Jonah said in in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he listened to me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You know, maybe it's time for you to call out to God, like Jonah did. And I promise you that if God can hear Jonah from the belly of a fish then he can hear your prayer, and he can hear mine. And uh, that's the end of chapter 2. It finishes with Jonah's prayer. And the fish vomits Jonah actually out onto dry land. And that's where we pick up our story in chapter 3, verse 1, which says this. And then the word of the Lord 
came to Jonah a, can you guys help me out with this last part? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Right here in verse 1, I love this. It says that God came to Jonah a second time. The Hebrew word for a second time, that was the, um, the way it was originally written or the original language it was written in in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for second time is a shenay. Everybody say shenay with me. Shenay. A shenay is a second chance. And today I want to remind you that our God is a God of second chances. You see, Jonah ran from God. Jonah was in the wrong. He didn't deserve a second chance. And yet God, in his loving mercy, gave him a second chance, a shenay. One of the things I love most about my job as a pastor is I get to have one-on-one conversations, sometimes have coffee or breakfast or whatever with people, and we'll talk about Jesus and faith and sometimes Marvel movies and football and all the things. It's great. And sometimes... I'll often hear this in conversation, that people feel like they're a lost cause to God. Like we've messed up too bad and we're too far gone and we've crossed the line of no return. How could God ever forgive somebody like me? Well, let me just remind you that God's grace is always greater than our disgrace. Listen, your past doesn't disqualify you. You know, throughout history, God has always been and will always be a loving father who isn't disappointed with or terrified of our mess. No, he's always been a God, a father that's saying, bring your mess to me. Let me run with you. Let me give you a shenay, a second chance. I also hear people just all the time, all the time in conversation say, you know, once I get my life together, once I get my life together, once I figure some things out, then, then I'll take my faith in God seriously. Then I'll do whatever it is that God's telling me to do. Then I'll tell my neighbor about Jesus. Then, then I'll get baptized. Friends, let me remind you that God is the only one that can truly restore our soul. And by the way, You don't get cleaned up to take a bath. You take a bath to get cleaned up. And in verse 2, God tells this to Jonah. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a great city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days. And Nineveh will be overthrown. That was his message. What a beautiful message. (laughs) What a powerful message. And check this out in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. Jonah obeyed God. He finally started to run with God. And you know, I'm convinced that running with God is the best life that this world has to offer. But you know, running with God, it requires obedience. Running with God requires 
obedience. A friend of mine said this once. He said, obedience is the secret power to a spiritual life. You know, Jonah didn't say, <clears throat> he didn't say, thanks God for saving me. Um, now the fish has vomited me out into dry land. I'm actually just going to go back to Tarshish now. You know, like, he didn't say, like, I'm actually just going to do things my way. No, he obeyed and went to Nineveh. And by the way, what God was calling Jonah to do, it wasn't comfortable, it wasn't convenient, it wasn't easy, it wasn't safe. I wonder if Jonah ever thought, like, oh, I don't know, God, like, what if nobody likes me? Or, or, or what if I don't know enough of the Bible? Or what if I want to hold on to some things that I know you want me to get rid of and you know you want me to let go of, but I, what if I want to hold on to those things? I remember some of those questions were things that I held on to in my life for a long time. I grew up in church. I, I heard the story of, of Jonah and the whale. We don't know if it was a whale, but a whale. Um, and so you're welcome for that one. You, can, you don't have to lie. It's fine. We can just keep moving forward. Um, and for me, uh, God, God was fine on Sunday at church. But if I could just compartmentalize, you know, like, I'm, I'm going to do me. I want to do what I want to do. If I could just have one foot in and one foot out, like, I want to live the best of both worlds of faith and of, of sin, of, of what I think, of what I thought was significance. And you know, I wanted my life to mean something. I wanted to make a difference, and I wanted to have purpose. I still do, by the way. In my first year of public school, was my junior year in high school. There's a, another story for a different day there. But I saw some things, as you can imagine, <laughs> that I had never been exposed to. And uh, I had a bunch of new stuff that was at my disposal, but none of it really seemed to answer the questions that I was really, really looking for. But I had a friend that invited me to youth group. It was on a Wednesday night. By the way, where are my youth? Where, we got any teenagers in the house here, you guys be brave enough to raise your hand, okay, yeah, hey, I'm so glad you guys are here, I appreciate you all, um, and uh, maybe teenagers, you can, uh, maybe you're with me on this, but I reluctantly went to youth group, I didn't really want to go at first, but I kind of, you know, I was like, my buddy was inviting me, so I'm like, oh, okay, fine, I guess I'll go, but to my surprise, what I had been searching for actually hit me that night. You see, I thought that my purpose in my life could be found in me. But what I heard with like a fresh mind and a, and a fresh heart for the very first time was that my purpose wasn't found in me, but it was actually found in him. There's a, there's a famous book. Um, <clears throat> some of you maybe have read it. It's called Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. For those of you who read it, do you remember the first four words of the book? Remember? The first four words are, it's not about you. And what I found in my story was that was actually beautiful. It's actually, it's actually beautiful because I want to live for something that's actually much greater than me. And, and then I wanted all of my friends and all of my teammates, and I wanted everybody to know about this God who's full of life and meaning and purpose. I have a couple of uh, pictures that I want to 
show you guys. And sorry, I know it's small and kind of pixelated and a little, little bit blurry, but this is my, my, my buddy, uh, Montana. Um, <clears throat> so because of my friend's obedience, and he invited me to youth group, and I reluctantly went, and then <clears throat> I decided to give my life to Jesus and, and, and obey Jesus and, and walk with him. Uh, Montana saw what was happening in our youth group and our kind of group of friends and people and so he decided that he wanted to get baptized, which was awesome. And then if you could go to the next slide. <clears throat> this is another picture. This was just a few months later. Uh, this is me. I got to baptize my baby brother. And um, <clears throat> it was such an awesome, special, special day uh, for both baptizing Montana and Logan, my brother. But Logan also saw what God was doing in our youth group and, and kind of our friend group. And, and so he's like, man, I... I, I want to get baptized. I want to obey Jesus now. And what's really cool actually about this picture is I got to baptize my brother Logan. And when he came out of the water, he was, you know, of course, he was just soaked and, and, and drenched in water. And the plan was once I baptized him, Logan would then baptize his friend who's standing right behind him. Because his friend saw what God was doing in Logan's heart, who saw what was doing in Montana's heart, in my heart, in my friend who invited me to youth group. And um, I just, time and time again, I, I see this domino effect of what happens when people start to obey Jesus and run with Jesus. And um, you just never know. Actually, in the story of Jonah, on the other side of Jonah's obedience was a changed city for God. And friends, I, I can't help but wonder what, or maybe even who, is on the other side of your obedience, waiting to be blessed, waited to be invited into, waited to be shared about the message of Jesus, about the good news of Jesus. You know, um, Jonah, <clears throat> he walks into the city, and he basically has the worst sermon ever in like the history of mankind. He says, 40 days and you guys are toast. That was Jonah's message, like five words. And can I just say, what an awful message. It was short, like nothing about God's grace or their sin or whatever. He said, 40 days and y'all going down, right? Uh, the word that Jonah used, overthrown, it means to turn upside down. And I'm sure that Jonah thought that the city might actually be like destroyed, like turned upside down. Um, it's possible, I can't prove this, so don't quote me on it, but it's possible that Jonah's skin might have been bleached from being in the belly of the fish for so long because of the acid and, and water and stuff that was in the stomach. And he could have looked noticeably different when he went to Nineveh. And by the way, in Nineveh, I was reading a commentary this week, and it, it said that the, um, the primary pagan god the people worshipped was called Dagon. And Dagon was believed to be half man and half fish. So for Jonah to be in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights would have been a big deal to the city of Nineveh. And it could have been that God provided the very fish that would bring about a noticeable impact to the message that God would give to Jonah to give to the Ninevites. 
and there was a, there was a fast. Um, a fast is when you take a set aside a period of time and you don't eat. And um, as you go through kind of the pain reminders of not eating, it reminds you to run with God and ask God for forgiveness. And it's a time to draw near to God. And people put on sackcloth. This was a, this was a sign of mourning or a sign of humility. The sackcloth was, it's kind of like an itchy material. And uh, it was often worn by slaves or, or the poor. And so really what was happening was the people were collectively saying that, God, we are slaves to what we have done wrong, and we need help. The people of Nineveh believed God, and they repented. And maybe it's time for you to do the same. Maybe you recognize, man, I'm in help. I realize, I recognize that I'm a slave to my sin, and I'm ready to run with God. That's all of us, by the way. We all need help. I love what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Acts 2, it says this. This is Peter. He replied, uh, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Every single one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 10 says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Here's what happens next in chapter 3 of Jonah. When Jonah, when his warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne and he took off his royal robes. A king doesn't do that, by the way, but this king did covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in the dust. A king sits on a throne. A king doesn't sit in the dust, but this one did. And this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let the people or the animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Poor animals couldn't even eat either. (laughs) Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, the king said. God may yet relent with his compassion and turn his fierce anger so that we will not perish. In verse 10, this is how God responds. When God saw that they did uh, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And that did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And so now we see Jonah running with God. And as a result, the whole city runs to God. And you know, when it comes to running with God, the king here actually gives us some helpful insights as to running with God. You see, the king, he probably figured and knew that running with God is probably going to be better together. Running is hard, y'all. Running alone is especially hard. But running together, man, it makes all of the difference in the world. And so could I encourage you to grab one, two, three, a group of people who are also running with God and just rally around each other and passionately run with God together. 
the king knew that, that running with God should be done urgently, is what it says. Meaning, don't procrastinate, don't wait, it not, don't do it tomorrow. Listen, God's invitation is limited, meaning tomorrow isn't promised. And if tomorrow isn't promised, then let's do what we need to do today. Don't wait. And finally, the king recognized that running with God, it takes humility. It means getting off the throne. Not the toilet throne, just to, just to be clear. But your pride. It means to get off your pride. It means to allow God to be on the throne of our hearts. And like my friend who carried me in the Tough mutter race, Jesus did for us what we could not do on our own. In that Jesus took the weight of our sin and he put it on himself and he died with it. And three days and three nights he was in the belly of the earth like Jonah in the belly of the fish. And he rose from the dead conquering sin and death once and for all. And now friends, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Friends, let's stop running from God. Let's run with him and watch and see what God can do in you and through you. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a Shanae kind of God. Thank you that your grace is always greater than our disgrace. God, thank you for second chances even when we don't deserve it. Thank you. Your word says that if we draw near to you, then you will draw near to us. And so, God, we just want to be a people right now in our very lives that that are a people that just with everything that we have and all that we are and all that we own, we just draw near to you. God, we need you. And I can't help but just pray specifically, God, in in this service, in this room, if, if, if there is anybody who is searching for meaning and purpose and significance and does God really love me and what am I to do with all of this? God, would you just open up our hearts? God, would you just speak? Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. God, we love you. Thank you. For being a father who loves us. That we get to be your sons and we get to be your daughters. God, would you love us well? Would you be near? In Jesus' name.